Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about Tales from the Hood from 1995, directed by Rusty Kundiff, written by Rusty Kundiff and Darren Scott, starring Clarence Williams III, Tom Wright, Anthony Griffith, David Allen Greer, Corbin Burnson, and Lamont Bentley. In this anthology horror film, a funeral director tells three young drug dealers four tales of horror. Ashrin, had you heard of this? Uh, I I think I'd only heard of it because like a sequel just came out on Netflix a few years ago. But uh, that's yeah, that's the only time I'd heard about it. How about you? Uh, I remember walking by it in the video store. Oh, like back in the nineties. Yeah, and always being curious. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's interesting. The sequel came out in twenty eighteen. Uh, right, yeah. 2018 or 2015? 2018 was what I read. Oh, okay. Uh, um, it sounds like they were trying to get it made for a while, and the popularity of Get Out may have had something to do with it finally seeing the light of day. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and actually seeing the cover, it kind of did, that, that does look really familiar, like something you'd remember from a video store. Yeah, yeah, it was hard to forget. Yeah. Um, and there's a third one in post-production, by the way. Right. Are those, is the second and third one, are they all going to be, well, was the second one directed by the same director? I think so, right? Uh, the second one, I think, is co-directed by Rusty Kundif and uh, Darren Scott, the writer. Okay. And uh, is he doing the third one? I can't remember about the third one. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, you, you, and you, those are all probably anthologies, though, just like this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Boy, I love anthologies. Me too. It's been a long time since we've seen one. I know. Let's let's do some more. Yeah, I know. It's a great <laughs> way to like pack in a lot of like great short stories. Yeah, yeah, it really is. There was there was one you really hated though, right? In this one? Uh, no, it, like one. Oh, in the, oh yeah, Christmas Christmas horror story. <laughs> was that the one? Yeah. People dig that, but I hated that thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed how much you hated that one. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably rewatch it. I feel like I, it may not be as bad. Uh, it might get worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this was executive produced by Spike Lee. That was really cool to see. I, I've never like heard of his name in the horror genre. Is this? Do you think like this is the only horror work he's done? Or come close uh, to? Good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been involved with like so many films. Yeah. But, and I don't know if you recognize the name on the credits, but the score was by Christopher Young, who we've talked about quite a bit, incidentally. Uh, that, that does seem like a really familiar name. Who is that? He did Hellraiser, The Grudge, Drag Me to Hell, 2019's Pet Cemetery, and most notably, because we really dug the music, is Sinister. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, did you like the music in this one? I did. Did you? Yeah, surprisingly, like that, I thought there were a lot of like really cool, and because it's like five different or four different stories, um, yeah, the music kind of varies with each one, and I, I thought like each one had pretty decent music. Yeah. Um, makeup effects done by KNB EFX Group. Does that sound familiar yet? Uh, is this the one from the Nightmare on Elm Street woman? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no, you're thinking of the one that... Um, Oh, crap. Now I'm going to sound stupid and forget Nancy Thompson's name, the actress who plays her. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, she, which, yeah, so she which, owns her own effects company, too. Right. And w- which one is this one, then? This one is done by Greg Nicotero. Um, 
Howard Berger and oh, I always forget the third guy's name. Kurtzman, Robert Kurtzman, I think. Yeah, and yeah. those are names but people should know. They do, yeah. <laughs> they do uh, like The Walking Dead, and I think they won an Oscar even for um, what's the name of those like C.S. Lewis stories, Chronicles of Narnia. Oh yeah, yeah, they did that but, one too. Yep, they do a wow. lot of movies, and a lot okay. of horror. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and Greg Nicotero, um, he, I think, is the executive producer of the Creepshow Anthology series on Shudder. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting, because, like, this isn't, like, really a a gore film or anything. Like, uh, it's not, like, heavy on the effects, is it? It is yes and no, actually. There's, like, a zombie or two and some dolls that come to life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's, like, a devil and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The zombie, actually, I think, looks really good. I, I right. wouldn't call him a zombie, but a, sure, a guy just, who comes back from the dead. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, a few of the stories do have those elements. Um, budget, $6 million, Box office, $11.8 million. So I'm guessing maybe that wasn't profitable. Yeah. Probably that's, not. Right. That's why I'm really surprised there. It was like a part two and a part three. Um, but yeah, maybe in the success of Get Out, I guess that makes a lot more sense. Well, and I got to believe this probably did really well on the back end with like rentals and sales, the VHS. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense with that cover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the the movie, it is, so in the last movie we covered Blackula, we talked about finding some subtext in there. And this one is, it's very, um, you know, it wears on its sleeve, its social messages. Yeah. And each story deals with, uh, other issues or various issues affecting the black community like police brutality domestic abuse racism and politics and gang violence are the four four real issues that are covered in each of the four stories mm-hmm. um, yeah and yeah it was it the movie has a general comedic campy tone but it's also very serious as well especially with the messages it's conveying yeah, you know, I wasn't sure when I started this film uh, what the tone was. Um, I, I didn't get too much of the comedic aspect. Do you think that was more of like the overarching story that added like the comedy in between like these uh, these short stories? Yeah, the overarching story, like the wraparound, really did have some some humor to it. Um, yeah. The other ones had touches too. Okay. But yeah, I guess some of them weren't necessarily, now that I think back on them, some of them were pretty pretty serious the whole way through yeah yeah I was, I was actually surprised like kind of how serious and and because this is like a different approach where it's wearing it on sleeve where it's like more on the nose uh, i yeah. thought these were kind of really like direct and, and serious yeah did uh did you recognize the cast at all i recognized well david allen greer who played the like evil like mom's boyfriend yeah um, not the mom wasn't evil, but the boyfriend was. Mm-hmm. He was from In Living Color. Oh, okay, cool. And like various, I feel like he was in various other comedy type stuff in the 90s. And yeah. then, oh, I didn't write her name down, but the mom to that story was in Friday. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. there were a couple of other people maybe that were familiar to me. Um, mm-hmm. One, in the first story, one of the cops was from The Crow. Oh, cool. Wow. And I've got a fun fact about that when we get to it. I'm proud of this one because it's like an IMDb fact that 
that was not on IMDb and came from my brain. Oh, wow. You went off to IMDb. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> the uh, Both for this and Blackula, man, the information out there online was, there wasn't a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's at pretty le- thin. Uh, yeah. At least not in like the normal places I look. Yeah. Dude, I that you put like the B in IMDb. It's crazy. The B in IMDb? Brian? Yeah, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Internet movie database, Brian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was was thinking data, Brian, but yeah. (laughs) Database, Brian. (laughs) Um, So, I know in our Blackula episode, I mentioned Horror Noir, the documentary on Shudder about the history of black horror. Mm -hmm. And there was a part in that where they were talking about how scenes of medical experimentation are a recurring theme in black horror. Oh, okay. Which may sound familiar uh, in Get Out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and, sure. Yeah. So they said that was attributed to this study that I had heard of before but like needed a refresher on it called the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment. Mm-hmm. So this was a study done by the U.S. Public Health Service and it was conducted from 1932 to 1972 on 600 black men. And they were told they were being treated for bad blood, which was kind of a colloquial term for various diseases back then. Mm-hmm. But really, it was a study on the effects of untreated syphilis. So 400 of them had syphilis, and the public health service knew it and never told them and never treated them, even though there was treatment for it. Oh, my God. And just were, like, wow. observing what would happen. So, like, some of them died from it. Yeah. Some of them passed it on to wives and or other partners, and some of it passed it on to their kids congenitally. Oh, my God. Jesus. And then it was leaked to the press in 1972 that this had been going on for 40 years. Holy shit. That's that's messed up. Yeah. And and that's, like, what's represented in, like, these films when they're doing these experiments? Yeah, they kind of allude to the fact that you see some stuff like that in black horror because, you know, it obviously affected the consciousness of every black person in america who had heard about that yeah yeah right right that's really messed up yeah um i think uh throughout history like i've heard other stories like that too where like um they've uh done a lot of like experiments on on like the black community and and, like use that to like drive a lot of like the medical data that's out there and haven't like really paid tribute or like recognize that like these are where like the findings come from so i'm sure there's like hundreds of stories like that out there yeah yeah um Oh, there's a story about, a book about, oh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I, it's yeah. actually what I'm using to prop up my microphone right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, her DNA was like stolen from her and I yeah. think it was like used to play a prominent role in figuring out like cancer treatments. I think so, yeah. A lot of yeah, I've never read stuff. the book, so people who have read it are probably screaming at me right now for what I'm getting <laughs> wrong, but... But yeah, 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 you're right. And like, she never got the credit for it, like during her time. Yeah. But yeah, there is a, one of these, uh, vignettes does have a, like a medical experimentation Mm -hmm. theme-ish or at least scene in it. So that was what made me think of that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there wasn't much background on this and you got anything before I just head into the Ohio connection? Um, the director, I'm mean, like the only other work of his that I recognized was, uh, he was, he did a few episodes of the Chappelle show, I think. Yeah. Thanks for, I, I skipped that. He did. I think he might've done all of it. Um, oh, 
IMDb said 25 episodes, which that ran wow. for like three years. Maybe not all of it, but a good chunk of it. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he yeah. did another movie called Fear of a Black Hat from 1993, which I, I don't know much about. Also horror, you think? I don't think it was, but I'm not totally sure. Okay. Um, yeah, and he did he did some TV and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Cool. Yeah, well, you, uh, you got our Ohio connection? Yeah, I'll move on to the Ohio connection from our friend Alex at the Jukebox Bar and Tavern in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Alex says, in the film Second Story, Boys Do Get Bruised. That's the name of the vignette there. The actress who plays Walter's mom, Sissy, is Paula Jai Parker. There we go. She made her film debut in the 1995 comedy Friday and has had a long career with featured roles in the movies Hustle and Flow, Phone Booth, and Idlewild, and TV shows Ray Donovan, The Proud Family, and a short-lived 1997 sitcom The Weird Owl Show, which I want to know more about and how to watch. <laughs> uh, Parker was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Ah, cool. That's awesome. There you go. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I didn't realize she was in Phone Booth. Yeah, I'm trying to think back on that. I remember really liking that movie when it came out. Yeah, it was like a really minimalist concept of a guy in a phone booth the whole time, and it actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Good, good rewatch. Yeah, I'd be interested to go back and watch that again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Man, speaking of people screaming at me, it's really bugging me that I can't think of Nancy Thompson's Actor, the actress who plays her <laughs> name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's killing me. People are probably screaming it. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> say you what, man. I think I just need a break to to cool my head. And we actually got some takeout food from a, a new place we ordered from. So I'm going to go pick that up if you don't mind. And then we'll start this up again. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Cool. I'll be right back. All right. Okay, I'm back, man. Hey, uh, you got the food? Yeah, this place was uh, its kind of wild. It was in this creepy, dark alley, and there were all these drug needles on the ground, and then as I walked through the alley, they all just floated up in the air and flew at me. <laughs> the needles so, flying in the air? <laughs> yeah, I got poked by a bunch of needles, but uh, strangely, I'm feeling really, really good right now. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, that was, that was a wild scene. <laughs> That was really wild, and my, my yeah. fun fact is about that scene, so I will get to that shortly. Ah, uh, okay. You know where I thought you were going with the fast food? Uh, I thought one guy made a really funny joke in here about uh, refried beans. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I had that in my notes, and then I crossed it out right before. I was like, we're not going to talk about the refried beans thing. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. He's like, why are they refried? Why didn't you just fry them right the first time? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. <laughs> I've, I've wondered that before. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I've yeah that, that I've thought that sometimes like reading the label like refried like why is it refried? Yeah, I'd like to know what the process is there. I think yeah. I can make a, a guess as someone who ate a lot of beans at a certain time of my life. <laughs> you feel like a bean connoisseur at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I'm gonna go on a quick tangent, but uh, Tim Ferriss, who's become a prominent 
personality, I guess, for our age group, I think. Mm-hmm. He had a diet called uh, slow carb, where you all you ate was meat, beans, and vegetables, pretty much. Oh, okay. And I did it for like six months, and I ate beans four times a day. Oh, boy. <laughs> Breakfast, Dude. lunch, snack, and dinner. How did your stomach handle? That's- Dude, I adjusted to him so quick. I like... <laughs> like my digestive system was smoother than it's ever been really wow like a machine huh like a machine yeah damn that's pretty cool isn't that just the paleo diet it's yeah it's like paleo or keto or whatever yeah all right i don't think i eat enough beans uh they're great man good for you yeah yeah good protein anyway so i better get moving because whenever we do these anthologies the plots go forever. Although yeah. I don't know that we've ever actually released an anthology episode. We lost one of them and one of them was like a practice episode. Huh? We probably uh, have some somewhere in there maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's also like go back and check. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it all starts with this wraparound story called welcome to my mortuary in which three drug, drug dealers are at this funeral home because apparently the funeral director found some drugs in an alley and they are there to buy them from him. So he's very spooky and kind of comedic, and he leads them through the mortuary to where he says he's hidden the drugs, and along the way they stop at various caskets, sometimes open, sometimes he opens them, and the the dude, the funeral director, tells them a story about each of these people in the caskets and how they ended up here. Yeah, and that's how I, he transitions into each story. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like this wraparound, it, it is like because I I couldn't tell. I thought he was like overacting the 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 guy who's playing the funeral director or the funeral home director. But I, I think you're right. Like this was kind of like the comedic, the comedic glue kind of holding it all together in a way. Yeah, yeah, he's hamming it up, and yeah, the the drug dealers had that refried beans thing, and one of them like comedically has a pratfall type situation where he bumps into something. Yeah, right. Um, right. So okay, the first story. Uh, titled Rogue Cop Revelation. They don't show the titles on the screen, but they apparently have names. Um, So in this story, Clarence, who is a black cop, is a rookie on the force. I think it's even his first day. And he witnesses these white cops, uh, including his partner, brutalizing a black man who he later realizes is a local civil rights leader and city councilman who's big on ending police corruption. Mm Mm-hmm. So he tries to get the officers to stop to no avail and they say okay we're going to take him to the hospital him and his partner leave and man this was certainly poignant or pertinent to our times uh yeah. like him and his partner have a talk in the car and his partner's like next time it could be you like so you never rat anybody out like never right. break the code yeah police codes yeah really telling on on police culture yeah um Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I know. This uh, is like so uh, relevant. Uh, this is like exactly what like is in the press these days. Is yeah, this is just... a very very relevant movie. Yep. Um, and, and you know that that scene uh, where they're beating uh, up this guy, the, the police are beating him up. Uh, they were playing Nina Simone's "Blood on the Leaves." Uh, oh, is that what like... that song was? That was a very uh, very dark, sad song. Yeah, yeah, and then that, that song's I think exactly about uh, this kind of stuff. So that was a very powerful scene, I thought. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so yeah, we, I said comedic. I guess this one gets a little more fun and comedic uh, later, but yeah, this is very serious. Yeah, right. Um, 
So these cops do not take him to the hospital. They put him in the front seat of his car, inject drugs into him, throw coke in the back of his car, and then drive his car off a bridge into the water, I assume, to make it look like he's all drugged up and crashed his car. Right. Um, Our main character, Clarence, ends up quitting the force instead of turning these officers in, and he kind of becomes a wrecked person because of it, like an alcoholic and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And he hears the voice. It's like one year later. And he hears the voice of the murdered civil rights leader saying, bring them to me. So he asks these cops to meet him at the cemetery where this dude is buried, and he's clearly intoxicated. He's got a bottle of alcohol on him. And he's like, the least you guys can do is pay respects to the grave. So the cops are following him to the grave, and it's clear they plan to kill him here because it's like he's the last exposure that they have to being found out about what they did. Mm-hmm. And the civil rights leader, what was that character's name? I wish I knew. Martin. Martin Morehouse. So Martin uh, emerges from the grave and kills one of them and then pursues two of the other ones in like a car chase, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that a lot because uh, like they kept driving away, but then he would like show up like in their back seat, like they couldn't escape him. That's yeah, awesome. I got a they got a good jump scare out of me when they they turned around and he was like walking far behind the car, and then they turned around again and he was right on the back windshield or in the yeah. back seats or something. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. A uh, fun note here: this this dude um, Martin Morehouse is played by Tom Wright, mm-hmm. and he plays a hitchhiker in Creepshow too, in a very similar situation. Oh, no kidding. Like yeah. Kind of just like stalking uh, a driver? Yeah, the story is about, I don't think there's any real spoiler here, but the story is about a woman who hits a pedestrian and a hitchhiker and keeps driving. Yeah. Uh, and okay. then he like comes back and is like haunting her as a, a dead person and won't like let her car alone. Damn. Okay. Um, so it was yeah. cool. It was basically like the same, same <laughs> zombie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he kills all these cops one by one and the last cop he kills, uh, the cops like wandering through this alley with drug needles on the ground and he telekinetically lifts up these needles and has them stab this cop to death. Mm -hmm. This cop, the actor is named Michael Massey. He played fun boy in the crow in 1994, just a year before this. Okay. And in the crow, he is killed with drug needles by someone who's risen from the dead. Oh my God. Wow. So two years in a row, this dude was in a movie where he was killed with drug needles by someone who came back from the dead. <laughs> really got typecasted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. Like within this, uh, th- this story that you have like two people who've like played similar roles before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's wild. Um, and I mean, he was a, he was a druggy like scumbag in, in the crow and a oh, cop, okay. a scumbag. I guess he's a scumbag either way. A cop yeah, in yeah. this one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Interesting. But his death was nearly identical. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So he finally kills off all these cops and then um, he like faces off with our our main character, um, Clarence. Is that his name? Clarence? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's just, he grabs him by the throat and he's like, where were you, my brother? Uh, Like, why didn't you? stand up for me or defend me in any way and then the last shot we see is Clarence now in an institution with a straight jacket on yeah and I think there's some doubt because uh, like the story is that Clarence killed all these cops right everybody assumed Clarence killed all the cops right but 
Uh, are we 100% sure that he didn't? What, what do you think? I'm 100% sure he didn't. Damn, you're so sure about these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, because, you know, part of me wants to think, yeah, may, maybe this was in his head and he kind of like went to town on these cops. But, uh, I mean, yeah, but... He, yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, there's stuff like that in, in some of these other stories, but... Yeah. You know, one of those cops was decapitated in his car and Clarence wasn't even around. I mean, from what we saw, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. the, the other angle is like, uh, and you know, at the, at the end, like that scene where, uh, where he's like, that where, um, he's being asked like, where were you? Like, why didn't you step up? It's almost like, uh, Clarence like was so eaten up with guilt or something for, for like, you know, being there when all of this happened. He was kind of like torturing himself in a way. Yeah. Um, that, that's definitely an angle of it, I think. That, yeah. I will give you that. That is an angle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got an angle. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next story is called Boys Do Get Bruised. A young boy is bullied at school, and he's in the nurse's office, and his teacher and the nurse notice an injury that's inconsistent with the beating he just got from these bullies, and they're suspicious that he's also being abused at home. He keeps insisting to his teacher that it's a monster doing this to him, and he draws pictures of the monster and all the things hurting him because he thinks that if he destroys the pictures, he can stop them. And the teacher decides he's going to pay this kid's home a visit uh, after he sees these drawings, and when the teacher leaves, the kid crumples up a picture of a classmate that he's drawn who's been bullying him. Mm -hmm. And as he's crumpling up the picture, you hear these screams like it's overlaid with these screams and then you cut to a scene of this boy being taken away in an ambulance apparently he's just fallen down the stairs and broken like every bone in his body so it leads you to believe that there is some truth to this like if he destroys these pictures he's drawn he can destroy the thing that he's drawn so it's basically like voodoo right yeah yeah i guess so okay um yeah like a voodoo doll yeah right um, so the teacher visits his home. The mom is denying everything. Her boyfriend eventually comes home and he's denying things and is a bit rude. Eventually the teacher leaves. There's nothing he can really do. And in the teacher's car, he sees the dude, like the silhouette through the window, beating the woman. And he comes back in the house and all three of them are trying to defeat this, this evil boyfriend played by David Alan Greer. Mm -hmm. And David Allen Greer's got the mom on the ground. He's about to give her what's probably a lethal blow with this like cast iron pan. And the boy takes the picture of the monster that he's drawn and folds the paper to fold the monster's arm. And then David Allen Greer's arm just breaks. And as the boy keeps folding the paper, his body eventually crumples up into this weird bent silly looking thing. Yeah. Um, and they eventually set the paper on fire and he burns up. That was actually um, kind of cool visually. Now, now that you mentioned that FX company, uh, I feel like this was one of the bigger uh, creative things they did, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, this is, uh, what was the budget? Six million? Mm -hmm. It's not tiny, but um, this was a pretty ambitious movie for that budget, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the teacher didn't here, have endless effects money. Right. And uh, the teacher here is the director of the whole film, right? Um. Was that him? Yeah, I, th I think that was him. I think uh, okay. the, the teacher is Rusty. Uh, uh, how do you say his last name? Kundif. Kundif, I think. Yeah. I probably pronounced it three different ways so far, but I think it's Kundif. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he's he plays the teacher there. Okay, wow. I, I missed that. Yeah. I saw that he was in the movie, but I forgot to follow up on, on who he played. Right, right. Um, uh, so, yeah, and it's a bit silly when we see him crumpled up, but then, like, also you see him, like, beating this kid, so... Yeah. Again, yeah. some like campiness mixed in with some pretty serious topics. Right. Right. Um somehow it works to me juggling those two tones. What do you think? Uh I agree cuz it kind of like disarms you but then it's like oh shit this is like a real uh thing like even like the way uh the, this one opens you see like a monster hand at the door. And I think I don't know, did you kind of guess going into it that it's the kid like envisioning like the 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 mom's boyfriend or something? Yeah, I assumed that monster was a a symbol of somebody in his life. Yeah, yeah. But even like the the effects on the monster like it, it looks kind of campy too, but uh yeah, you realize it's like the serious uh, elderly or the, this adult who's beating this child, which yeah, cra- crazy juxtaposition there. Yeah, I like what you say there, man. You're kind of like disarmed and everything and you're just enjoying the vignette and then it's just like, "Oh shit." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like shit that's I feel real. like fiction can just be like a really powerful tool for for empathy and understanding uh real life issues and events like through the Mm -hmm. eyes of a fictional character right yeah yeah Um, totally yeah so the next story is called kkk comeuppance and this is about a racist senator who used to be a member of the kkk who is gearing up his for his campaign for re-election and he has set up shop in a notorious old slave plantation where the owner uh, so the story goes, after the 13th Amendment uh, was ratified, killed a hundred of his slaves rather than set them free. Um, and you hear a, like a quote from his campaign video where he's like, affirmative action means another qualified individual won't get a job because of the color of his skin. And that's what I thought we were trying to get away from. Um, and then there were protesters outside of his place. And he's like, if they were as relentless about finding a job as they are about hounding me, it might put an end to welfare. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Get very, those lines. Yeah, that, that seems very uh, real, right? Yeah, <laughs> like I, I mean those... that's stuff that I I heard people close to me saying growing up. I'll, right, I'll just be honest about that. Yeah, yeah, right. So, that, that's yeah. a mentality that's like still pretty prevalent in. Like, I think politics. that mentality is is very pre- prevalent. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, there are people protesting him outside the plantation and there's kind of the kooky old guy who plays the like harbinger of doom role who says that uh, the souls of the slaves were sewn into dolls and still reside in the house. Mm -hmm. And within a house is this giant mural on one of the walls of a woman who was said to be a voodoo, voodoo witch who sewed all the dolls. And so this mural is a picture of her sewing with all the dolls surrounding her, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really um, cool uh, mural. Yeah, uh, and it comes into play nicely to, to build suspense, as we'll see here in a second. Um, so the dude's trying to like shoot his video, his campaign video, and he's working on it with his assistant. And the assistant trips down these stairs and falls to his death. And since they're taping this, like as practice interviews, he rewatches the tape and sees that one of the dolls is there on the ground with its leg sticking out like to trip this dude on purpose. Right. He then happens to notice that in the mural, one of the dolls is missing from the mural. There's just a blank spot where it was. And from here, it pretty much descends into an all-out battle between him and this doll. And 
he'll like get a one up on the doll and defeat the doll and then he'll come back into this room and see that like three other dolls are missing now um so there's kind of a back and forth like that for a while and eventually all the dolls just attack him all at once and and kill him Mm -hmm. which this was a pretty silly one but um you know again pretty on point with the uh the topic and the, the kind of politician here yeah, yeah. Did you like, uh, I, I thought like the, the way like the painting would show the dolls going missing was kind of cool. What would you think of that? Yeah, I thought that was fun. It, it built some suspense for sure. Even though the yeah. dolls were like a little silly and not scary. Yeah. Uh, it was it was cool every time you'd come into that room and look and see that more were missing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. This one's also like kind of uh, on the sillier side. And you hear like the little footsteps running around all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. Something's coming. Uh, what did I, I felt like there was some imagery here with uh, the fact that he was like beating one of them up with like the American flag, and I think at the end, uh, doesn't he like he? Uh, I think he gets covered in the American flag. Uh, yeah, well, he like covers himself up. He like shields himself with the American flag as he's like lying down, about to be attacked by all of them. Yeah, I felt like that was kind of making a statement. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly what the the statement was, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I guess that America will protect <laughs> these, like, white racist people. Oh, yeah. That's actually a really good interpretation. That that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they're hiding, like, behind the flag or something with their racism. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, there's probably a few different ways to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, the next story is, and the last story, is called Hardcore Convert. And this is about this dude, Crazy K, who's like a pretty hardcore thug, driving around the neighborhood, sees an enemy dude, whatever. I don't know if it's from a different gang or just somebody who had done him wrong. He follows him home and shoots him outside of his house. Then three dudes from inside the house, who are always in the shadows and we can't quite see their faces, they come shoot him and then the cops come and these dudes start running and shooting at the cops and the cops shoot and kill all three of these dudes and end up taking crazy k in an ambulance and he's later in prison and a woman named dr cushing from like some government agency i guess approaches his cell and asks if he'd take part in an experiment if it would mean he could be set free if it went well So he's then transferred to this creepy facility and he's put in a cell right next to a white supremacist uh, who he's like, he like reaches through the bars and punches the dude in the face and the dude's in like, you know what, man, you're all right with me because you've killed way more black people than I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the theme of this one is very much like gang violence, black on black violence. Um, So this dude is part of this experimentation on him is essentially like a way to like shock him back into being a good person, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a, it reminded me of like a clockwork orange in a way. Yeah, it did. So they forced him to view a slideshow slash montage of KKK lynchings mixed with gang violence. Mm-hmm. And this is a very long and disturbing montage. Oh yeah. Like yeah. it really packed a punch and was like a powerful way to, to, uh, close out the movie like the, there's a end of the wraparound story but this is kind of serving as the third act of the movie mm-hmm. um, and I assume all that lynching stuff was real oh wow yeah like real like images real footage. yeah yeah and the credits there was a lot of like thanks to um, like libraries and historical archives wow. and stuff like that damn that's powerful yeah um, 
so after that he's like shown that montage he's then put into a sensory deprivation chamber where he sees all the people that he's killed um various victims confronting him about why he did it and like that they didn't deserve it and then the last one is this little girl who like has a big open wound on her chest and says she was just in her room playing and got hit by a stray bullet Mm -hmm. like that was intense that was yeah yeah what the yeah (laughs) that was that hit hard yeah um but despite all this and despite dr cushing like urging him to like be remorseful uh he he refuses to feel bad about it and he's then transported back to his near-death experience with those three dudes who had just shot him and instead of the cops coming he is shot dead by these three dudes which kind of makes you wonder if that was all just happening in his head yeah i wasn't sure about that um yeah if, if if that whole sequence happened or not what do you what do you think i'm confused because that the ending makes you to believe that it didn't happen mm-hmm but then when we wrap up the uh, wraparound story, it kind of makes you think it happened the original way because oh, right. yeah. these three dudes that we never saw their faces are our three uh, characters in the wraparound story. Yeah. And they're now real suspicious of the undertaker because this body they just show them of this dude, Crazy K, is a guy that they killed. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh shit, he knows we did it. Um, but he still promises he's going to lead them to the drugs. They head to the basement and he says the drugs are in these three caskets and they open the caskets and their, their own bodies are in the caskets. He transforms into Satan and tells them that they're in hell and the whole mortuary turns into hell. And that's the end of the movie. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Twist. (laughs) Twist. Yeah. Um, Uh, did you see that coming at all? I didn't see it coming, but I think it was just because I was so focused on these stories that I wasn't really thinking much around the, about the wraparound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a feeling that guy didn't have drugs that they were there to yeah. get. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty easy to piece together if if you give it some thought. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely layering in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how that last story, those last two kind of go hand in hand. Like, we don't know in that last story if, like, he did go through the, uh, the you know, the prison system where they tried to, um, you know, brainwash him or, like, try to correct him or whatever. Um, or if that was just, like, a, a, something he imagined. Or if it was, this was all, like, in the heads of the guys who were, uh, were already dead, apparently, in the wraparound story. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not totally sure. But, it, but I thought that was, like, a really powerful... It worked either way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I thought one really powerful part in uh, that hi- hardcore convert one is like, yeah, when he's in the basement, he's confronted with all the people uh, that he's killed, including that little girl. And he's like saying, um, uh, it's not like his fault, like it's a part of the system, like how he's the world, like his parents, like the system that he's been brought up in, uh, which I felt like was a theme throughout. Like there's a lot of, um, you know, being holding, uh, you know, the system accountable, other people accountable, and like showing that it's all coming at them from like all these different angles basically and, and causing like the situation. Right. And he's like, what about me? And like what my childhood was like and how I yeah. turned out this way. And, um, she says something, Oh, I wrote down the quote, but now I don't have it. But she says something about like, he's got to take responsibility and, and break the chain. Yeah. Right. And he's, yeah. Yeah. Right. That was, that was kind of a powerful dialogue between them. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if there was like some subtext too in like some of these other stories about like 
the government wanting and like especially with the inclusion of like the white supremacist character like mm-hmm. the government being totally fine with the state of like gang violence oh yeah because it was just like yeah they're just killing each other like who cares right yeah 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 definitely felt that in the the doll one yeah some heavy hitting stuff for sure but oddly this movie was like a whole bunch of fun too yeah this was a really weird uh, dynamic how they did that but it, it kept it kind of uh going this is yeah. interesting yeah um very the, very much creep show vibes yeah 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 exactly with with like a like a strong like a uh, social commentary angle yeah yeah um, the ending when, uh, you know, you find out like the whole time, uh, these three were in hell, basically. Do you think that's something where they're saying, um, like, uh, the whole system kind of has the black community, like in, in, in like kind of a, a metaphorical hell or something? Between, I don't like, know, quite, quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Between like the, the things we saw here, like the police brutality, the institution, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Stuff to think about. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's what I liked about this one. It was like very layered uh, in each story. Yeah. Not, not it really was, man. Yeah, yeah. It's not often you see something like that. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Zero to five uh, drug needles flying through the air. <laughs> uh, you know, um, there, there were parts that were campy, and then like the, but then it did get pretty serious, and uh, I liked like the... The, the angles are brought about. So I think I would give this, uh, yeah, three and a half probably uh, needles in the air. What about you? Nice. Uh, I'm going to go with a four and a half, man. Damn. Nice. I really, really liked this. I thought it was just spellbinding. Like it always had my attention. It was always interesting. It was either like campy and silly or just super dark and heavy hitting. Yeah. Um, and I love anthologies. I think they're so fun. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it just like, it nailed it. It was everything I wanted. I loved the 90s-ness of it too. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just really made me feel like I was a, a kid sitting in front of my TV. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, man. And anthologies are great. And it, yeah, it keeps it fresh and going. Yeah. Every, every bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love an anthology too where they're all directed and written by the same people. Sure. Because it just, it it's so cohesive then. Even yeah, when the stories can have very different vibes, like it, it really fits together. Right. It keeps it consistent. Yeah. 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 That, that, that part was really cool about this. Like how thematically, like there were a lot of overlaying uh, themes that, that uh, were present in each story. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. For some reason, uh, campiness for me, like uh, in horror films, like sometimes it's a detractor, but I, I can see kind of appreciating it more in this one, given it came out in the 90s. Uh, right that makes sense and i think like was it scary did you find it scary i think disturbing for sure D- yeah yeah i feel um, like, like this... the real life type stuff yeah right exactly i think that's kind of where it hit hard i didn't otherwise yeah. like i don't feel like it was visually scary did you um i thought the uh zombified martin morehouse from the first story was was kind of creepy yeah 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 i mean i love the way he was like stalking the police in their cars yeah Cool, man. Well, anything else before we start closing up shop? Uh, no, that's all I got. All right. Well, that has been our discussion on Tales from the Hood, everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. Oh, and 
I guess probably like two weeks ago now, we, we called out saying we were trying to get to 100 reviews this year, and uh, quite a few of you stepped up, so we're still far from 100, but I really appreciate all of you who have reviewed us so far, or just rated us, you can just click the stars. Uh, where was I? You can find our website, horrormovieclub.com, if you want to connect with us internet social-wise. We have a social links thing there, social links button that takes you to Facebook, Twitter, or our Discord server where you can chat with us and other horror fans and listeners. Um, on Facebook and Twitter is where we announce what we're going to cover next week. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check out her horror art and just general art. Great for gifts. Um, Amy Mae Popart on Etsy.com. Uh, our Ohio connection was done by Alex who runs Jukebox Tavern in Cleveland, Ohio you can go pick up some beer in your car safely if you want something to drink and I think until next time if you find yourself on an odd errand to a funeral home that doesn't seem to make much sense I'm sorry to break it to you but you are dead (laughs) yeah